Hey, thanks for tuning in to our podcast. In this episode, you'll hear a fascinating story about a case that involved whistleblowers, sexual harassment, and even the mortgage crisis from 15 years ago. Stay tuned. Welcome to the How David Beats Goliath podcast. Your host, Michael J. Swanson, is the author of the book, How David Beats Goliath, and CEO and chairman of the board of directors of Advocate Capital. And now, here's Michael. Thanks again for joining us. On today's podcast, you'll get to meet Randall Strauss and Gary Gwilliam from Oakland, California. Guys, welcome. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Uh, before we talk about the case, can you tell us a bit about, uh, you know, your law firm's uh, background, the types of cases you prosecute? Yes, thank you. First of all, again, thank you for having us, uh, Michael. Sure. Our firm is a firm specializing 100% in plaintiff civil litigation. We do about 50% serious injury death work on more, on more complicated cases. And we also uh, do about 50% on employment and civil rights cases, but we're always representing the plaintiffs. Our firm has been in uh, existence for a little over 41 years. Uh, we wow, found it years. Right September 1st, 1978. We're here in Oakland, and uh, a lot of our business comes from referral business, but we're trial lawyers. Yeah. We try a lot of Yeah. How did you, uh, I'd like to hear, actually, if you wouldn't mind sharing, how each of you decided to become a plaintiff lawyer. How did that happen? <laughs> well, I, I started my career as a, as a prosecutor, and then when I came up to Oakland, I got a chance to, to join the plaintiff's firm and became what I kind of consider a, a civil prosecutor, and mm -hmm. it just fitted uh, my uh, background and my work, and it's been exactly the type of work I wanted and worked on for 50 years. So I was fortunate to find my niche in a, in a field that just works 100% for me. So I just kind of came into it from, from that perspective. Uh, how about you, Randy? Well, uh, I grew up the, the son of a small town plaintiff's attorney, and huh. I knew dead set the last thing I ever wanted to be was an attorney mini stripe. Um, huh. But when I found myself graduating college and looking for a reason to stay in the Bay Area and keep playing music with my band, I got a part-time job with a local law firm, and uh, wow. lo and behold, that led to law school, and here we are. He worked for our firm as a law clerk in 1990 and met his wife here. So he's become a, so he was always kind of a part of our family. And then he's been with us uh, as a, 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 an associate, a partner for 12 years now. Fantastic. Great. Well, thank, thanks for sharing that. Uh, I have the pleasure of knowing the both of you for many years now. I know the important work you've done for many, many plaintiffs all across the country. Um, but I invited you here today to talk about a, a very special case um, that involved both whistleblowers and then sexual harassment and retaliation. Um, would you tell us about that case and how that came about? Yeah, let me start, but I'd like to have get Randy's perspective too. This is a really interesting uh, uh, case, Michael. It, it involves um, a, six women who, uh, believe it or not, in 2005, in September of 2005, had been observing a lot of misconduct in their local uh, mortgage firm. They worked for a company called BNC, which was the only owned a subsidiary of, of Lehman Brothers. And at that time, they were underwriters. The, the work they were doing uh, was to review mortgages to make sure that they were done right. 
and uh, they began to complain about that because they were mm. you know mortgages they were uh making up w-2s and doing all kinds of things that were wow. happened is the mortgages everybody wanted to have a mortgage in those days and uh, they brought in a uh well he was a sexual predator but he was sort of the hitman to try and bring them in line to make them uh write up these mortgages that they were resisting wow. on and finally uh, he came up and started making a lot of sexual comments to these women it was interesting right because it really they he really wasn't after a sexual affair with them he was using that as a threat as intimidation and mm -hmm. eventually walked up behind one of the plaintiffs linda weeks and he uh, pressed himself up against her and she absolutely panicked she was a, a, a rape uh, survivor and oh, ran nice. out and that started these women who all casually knew each other but they didn't realize it they were having the same problems with writing these bad mortgages oh. together. And we filed a lawsuit for them, as I said, in September of 05. The case uh, kicked around. They tried to put it in arbitration. We won that. They took an appeal. And just about the time we started to get into the case, started to take depositions, it was by then the end of 07. And no sooner did we get really started than Lehman Brothers declared bankruptcy. And it was the biggest yep. bankruptcy in the history not only the United oh States goodness. Uh, universe and, and the case stopped uh, it, was, it was a stay action and so we uh, struggled along thinking we'd probably never get anything out of it so rarely do you get much out of cases that go into bankruptcy right. but we hung in there we filed bankruptcy claims that we all stated on Randy then joined the firm came in and started working on the case and then things changed in 2013 Randy, why don't I, you, you tell them kind of how things went from there with the work we did to kind of move towards the settlement since you were so actively involved in that. Sure. Well, what's interesting to me about the case, and I'll get back to the chronology in a second, but this case involves so many issues that we see in society that are really important issues. Uh, Gary just said that they tried to put the case into forced arbitration. Yep. Um, that, that is something we encounter all the time. And mm -hmm. uh, uh, companies try to get their employees to waive their rights to jury trials. And this is a case where we fought that and won it in the Court of Appeal. This is a case that involves sexual harassment in the workplace uh, with the Me Too movement. That, of course, is something that's on everyone's radar and uh, yeah. is a problem in our society. It's a case that involves uh, the mortgage industry and the predatory, predatory uh, lending institutions. Um, so all of these were facets of this case. When I came uh, back to the firm in 2007, started working on it, did the initial discovery, bankruptcy hits. Um, mm. In 2013, what happened is we were contacted by Lehman's Bankruptcy Council, and I guess they had been working okay, their 2013, way. 2013, so now six years have gone by. Correct. And during those six years, um, you know, once the bankruptcy hit, there was not a lot we could do. We, we tried to get the court to release the case to go back to state court uh, in California, and the New York judge in the bankruptcy said, no way. I'm keeping all of this case. But in 2013, Lehman had worked their way through various claimants. And I guess our file was at the top of the heap. And they contacted mm -hmm. us with their counsel and said, we'd like to talk about settlement. And uh, I forgot what the initial figures were, but they were basically uh, nothing. <laughs> the initial offer. Well, they, what they said to us originally, which, which turns out to be uh, well, it was sort of, they sort of lied to us afterwards. They, we asked him, well, are, look, are we talking about 
pennies on the dollar. And he says, no, we're going to give you, quote, 100 cents on the dollar. That lawyer was then taken off the case. We never heard from him again. And for essentially the next six years, uh, all they did was lowball us and find different reasons to not pay the claim, saying that somebody else had bigger claims. And yet there was a specific amount of money in the BNC trust part of that big bankruptcy that we knew was available for settlement, but they wouldn't pay it. So Randy really worked hard. We had three separate mediations, long mediations. We had a mediator that worked on the case for six years. And it was just low-ball, difficult problems until finally, about a year ago, they started to get serious and they came back to the table. But it settled relatively suddenly uh, when I went back for my third hearing in New York on the bankruptcy. They were trying to throw out another part of our case, which they'd already done. To be honest with you, the bankruptcy judge was pretty, uh, um, uh, she, she was favorable to, to Lehman. She wanted to uh, get the case resolved. But the sort of it is, we sat down and had a serious discussion. And uh, suddenly, and to our uh, happiness and kind of delight, uh, we got the case settled for $5 million. $5 million in real dollars. The dollars have been paid, and this isn't bankruptcy money. And that's a lot of money to get get out of a bankruptcy. So wow. the only other thing I want to add to, to Randy's uh, description of the case is not only does it involve sexual harassment, arbitration, but whistleblowers are in, in the news right now. And so these right. women are all that. And basically, they're survivors. They, they, mm -hmm. they persisted in the fight with this case for 14 years and hang in there. Yeah. They're the real heroines of this case. Uh, Randy Absolutely. and I far more tired on it, but they, they, they did great work. And uh, they didn't get as much money as you, you'd like. That's true of a lot of uh, a lot of our cases, but they certainly came out well ahead from where we thought they were going to for so many years. Yeah, amazing. So, so uh, for those of us who are old enough, like the three of us, uh, to, <laughs> I remember when Lehman went bankrupt. And I, I remember that era. And of course, being in the finance business, uh, you didn't know what was going to happen next. Then there was an AIG and all these things were, were blowing up. So so tell me a little bit about what it felt like you had this case to hear that Lehman Brothers had filed bankruptcy and you had this case with them. What, what was that like? Well, you know, if you as plaintiff's lawyers, the last thing we want to see is a bankruptcy because it means that your action is stayed. There's nothing you can do about it. You're totally right. Bankruptcy court, and in the vast majority of cases that go into bankruptcy, there's very little that can be involved. Strangely enough, there was some insurance, but there was a very high deductible or retention on the case, and they were kind of backed out of it until they finally came in. But you know, it, we 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 hired a bankruptcy lawyer, but to be honest with you, there were many many years where we really uh, weren't very uh, encouraged to be getting out of it. But as I said. Once they said they wanted to settle the case, uh, all they did is lowball us and give us nothing but trouble for years. And uh, it's kind of a long, complicated story as to what their contentions were. But we we really had to put in a lot of time and effort. Randy wrote and uh, briefs of various kinds, and we took an appeal. They threw out our punitive damage claim. It was not an easy case. They, we had a lot of adversity in it all along. Yeah, Anything amazing. Add to that, Randy. Um, well, I would like to pay a little bit of tribute to my partner who stood steadfast through this entire case, along with our clients, of course, uh, who, who would not let us give up. Uh, there were times when perhaps some of us in the firm thought uh, we'd reached the end of the line, but uh, 
Gary uh, didn't think so, and he ultimately proved to be correct. Yeah. Well, well, well can we hear a little bit about the, the, the effect that this had on those plaintiffs? Here they are trying to do a good job. Uh, for Lehman Brothers trying to catch these uh, defect, uh, not defective, I guess, but fraudulent loan applications. They're just trying to do their job, and then it, it all blows up on them. What kind of effects did that have on them? Oh, boy. It was a very difficult time for them. Like a lot of whistleblowers, unfortunately, when they stand up for what's right, when they complain about what's wrong in the, in the workplace, they get nothing but trouble. And, and so that's exactly kind of what happened to them. But uh, afterwards, they were kind of blackballed from the industry. Uh, all of them had a lot of difficulty in ever getting jobs. None of them ever got the kind of jobs they had at that time. True, the, the recession didn't help any, and that made things worse. But yeah. they, they suffered not only from great financial loss, but the emotional distress that they suffered was very significant. They had depression. Uh, they went through divorces. Our first three plaintiff calling. Uh, Colombo not only went through divorce and lost her, her job, she, she lost her house, uh, became totally broke, had to move back in with her aunt in a, on a ranch in Oklahoma. That's not where she wanted to go. Took her 12-year-old daughter down there and just started working and living off the ranch. And really, it was just a very difficult time for her and, and all of our plaintiffs at, at every level you can imagine. And they really uh, were uh, uh, real heroes to uh, stay persistent uh, through a lot of serious adversity. Yeah, and Mike, you're exactly right. They they stood up because they thought they were doing their jobs and protecting the company, mm -hmm. and they yeah. and they really felt that they should have been listened to. I've heard them say time and again, you know, we were kind of the canaries in the coal mine that were telling this company that you're pursuing business practices and aren't going to lead to anywhere good, either for the company or the respective homeowners who were being sold a bill of goods that the company knew they couldn't afford. They could not afford to be in these mortgages. Right. All kinds of people lost their homes because uh, of greedy companies uh, like Lehman Brothers who sold the mortgages yeah. they could afford. And our clients felt like they were doing the right thing and got completely shut down. And think about this, Mike, you know, we all know what happened with the recession, how difficult that was. What if people have really listened to this? This started in 05. It started three years before we really got into that profession. If people had listened to this and said, wait a minute, you know, this this is this thing isn't going right. There's a movie that came out called The Big Short, which is sure. kind of the story of, of these same they don't have these women in it, but it's the same story of these yep. mortgages going on. And you know, what if? Why what if people had paid attention to these signals? Because this case was out there, it did get some publicity. We got publicity locally. We had the Wall Street Journal that was interested in it. They kind of killed the story. Nobody really wanted to know afterwards uh, what happened. But they you know, as with so many whistleblowers, what if? What if? What if people really paid attention to what was going on? Who knows how history could have been changed? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think Lehman Brothers was probably probably flipping those mortgages before they even had to make their first payment. Oh, yeah, they were doing that exactly. And they, they, they were, you know, and, and, you know, everybody was in the mortgage business in those days. And, and they were writing mortgages they shouldn't have. And, you know, people uh, uh, were, would say, well, sure, I'll take it. And then they're kidding themselves that they can come up with several thousand dollars a month payment. And the next thing you know, they're all in default. And, and you know, the, the, the rest is history. And it wasn't uh, too long before these kinds of... Uh, financial wrongdoings uh, led to, to 
one of the greatest recessions in our history. And, and Michael, let me give you just one specific example that I can remember that our one of our clients uh, came across. She's looking at a loan file and she sees that somebody is employed at a fast food restaurant and their income is uh, very obviously whited out and written over and it says $5,000 a month. Can you imagine? And so our client drives to the restaurant. This is 2005. <laughs> drives to yeah. the restaurant says to the manager, I'd like to apply for one of those jobs you've got here where you can make that kind of money. And of course, did they really? Uh, oh, yeah. And of course, the job did not exist. So so they just lied about it. I mean, and then and their bosses yeah. did this. It wasn't the uh, person that applied for it. I mean, they, they were just helping them out and saying, well, we'll do this. And they were faking W-2s and and then and lying about and the money they were making. Why? Because these mortgages were just selling like hotcakes. And Everybody was in competition. It wasn't just mm -hmm. Lehman Brothers. Every bank, and Bank of America, and Chase, and all, Wells Fargo, all of them were out there mm -hmm. doing selling mortgages like crazy. But that's, as I said, history, and we we ended up uh, causing a lot of problems for everybody in this country because of that. Yeah. Well, I I, I enjoyed the Big Short uh, because. Like you, I lived through that era, and uh, I had been going to those conferences, the one he stood up and spoke out about, and it was the rating agencies, too, that were turning the, their head the other way, that didn't, didn't do their job. So a lot of people fell down on that job about that. Well, well, guys, thank you so much for the work that you do to help people. What an incredible story, how long this case t took, and you never gave up. And hopefully now your, your plaintiffs will get, um, get some financial uh, respite for a little while, and uh, we appreciate you know, what you do. If you don't mind, there's one thing I'd like to add to this. You know, Please. when it goes on this long, uh, our costs became very heavy. We were on a contingency fee like you might expect. So we weren't right. getting fees, and that we could deal with. But our cost, as I, particularly when we got the mediations and it got expensive, we had to borrow some money. For, we had a, a bankruptcy lawyer. But we were fortunate enough to have uh, your good firm help us with the finances and our costs ultimately came out to about $500,000. And if it wasn't for folks like you that helped us as plaintiff's lawyers finance these cases, uh, particularly ones like this that go on for years, we really do need the good work you do. So you're, you're a part of our victory in this case. And I hope you and everybody there at Advocate appreciates that. Well, we sure do. Uh, we have, we're so fortunate. We have such a strong why for our business. Um, you know, if I was running a plumbing company, okay, yeah, everybody needs plumbing. But being able to help people like you all around the country, help plaintiffs like that, uh, it just, it, it's so uh, gratifying. And we get the easy part. You're doing the hard part, working for 17 years on a case without getting paid on it. So uh, it's, it's our pleasure, let me tell you. And everybody here uh, at Advocate um, really enjoys it. And we love hearing these stories. This is what really motivates us. So thank you for telling us about the story that made a difference. I love how it touched so many important aspects of our society right now uh, and br brought those three things together. It's a great example of the important work that plaintiff lawyers do and how important the contingent fee contract is for our Seventh Amendment rights because you are the keys to the courtroom and your clients never would have got near a courtroom if not for your willingness to take those cases on um, and toil and sweat over them for almost two decades to get that result. So once again, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Thank Thanks for listening to this episode of the How David Beats Goliath podcast. If you have any questions or recommendations, send Mike an email at mike at howdavidbeatsgoliath.com.